Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, hello, Valley Church. My name is Paul, and I want to thank you for having me here with you in your presence today. It is a joy to have you as a part of the global church, what God is doing, working among His people to build His church all through His Spirit and by His gospel. It is a joy to be with you. Your pastor asked me to come here this morning because I know that you have been studying through the book of Acts. Is that right? Yes, you've been hearing from, from my friend and my coworker, Dr. Luke, haven't you? Dr. Luke, he traveled with me. He told, told you, and he wrote down everything that I did among the disciples and how God was so at work doing miracles, commissioning us by his spirit, bringing, bringing about uh, the salvation of thousands and thousands of people by his gospel from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and now to the ends of the world. Can you believe it? And church, can I tell you, I'm glad that I'm here today because you too are a part of that. And it is a joy to be able to be with you and, 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 and knowing the gospel together. I'm here because I want to share with you some of my story. And uh, it is, I will warn you right at the beginning, it is not a fun story to tell. Because I'll tell you, it's full of hardship and trial and waiting and pain. You know, when, when people think about the book of Acts, a lot of people will comment and, and they will say, man, it sure looked like God was working at the beginning of the book of Acts, but now it doesn't look like he's working anymore. Because when you get to chapter 20 and 21 through the rest of the book, you'll see trial after trial. You'll see suffering. You'll see hardship. You'll see everything that I went through, and it didn't look like God was working anymore. But I have a question for you this morning. Is it that God was not working, or is it that we just don't have eyes to see what He is actually doing? And that is what I want to challenge you with today, because uh, you may be going through something right now yourself, here in this church, maybe in your personal life, where you're wondering, man, where is God in this season that I am in? Where is God in my suffering? Where is God in my pain? Man, I wish I could go back to that old church or to those old people or those old friends or that old season where it felt like God was working. It doesn't seem like he's doing anything anymore. It seems like he's stopped. And if only I could go back there, can I just remind you? Maybe God has not stopped working. Maybe it's that God has started working in a different way. And that is why I'm here to tell you my story. As Paul, I am excited to be here with you today. Let us pray together and let us then talk about my story. Lord God, we're thankful that we can be here as a church together. I thank my God for my brothers and sisters here at Valley Church. God, I thank you for my partnership with them in the gospel from the day of the beginning of the church until now. 
And Lord, I pray that you, Father God, would give them a spirit of encouragement and endurance. God, that you would grant them to live in harmony with one another, that together we may with one voice glorify God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray these things. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, your brother Doug Dilliman, he, he preached from chapter 20 of the book of Acts. And if, if you will open up your copy of the scripture to, to that chapter, that is where I want to pick up the story. Because a lot has happened since you last heard from Doug. In, in, uh, in, in those parting words that I shared in the book of of, uh, of Acts that Luke recorded, you'll see that I was in the city of Ephesus for three whole years. I was discipling them just as Jesus spent three years with his own disciples. But I had to leave them because I knew that God had called me back to my own people because I wanted them to hear the gospel. And so as we parted ways, I gave them the, the four most important things that they needed to know, and I want to remind you of them from what we, we studied a couple weeks ago, is that you'll remember that I told them that they are to be centered on the gospel, that they are to be grounded in the scripture, that they're to be guided by Christ-like leaders, and that they are to learn to be generous, just as our Lord Jesus has been generous to us. And you know, as we parted, parted ways there in Ephesus, we were all crying and we knew that we would never see one another again. It was a sad time, but also a joyful time in knowing that we would see one another in eternity with God forever in heaven. And as we parted ways, they sent me to the ship and I, I sailed then on a cargo ship. I was on my way to Jerusalem. I traveled from Jerusalem to the city of Tyre. And if you look on a map, you will see that, that there were even followers of the way there in that very city. It was, it was a city that the gospel had spread to. Isn't it a joy to know that wherever you travel these days, you can always find people belonging to the way. And so I stayed with them for seven whole days. I stayed with them and they were full of the Spirit themselves. You know, the Spirit had been talking to them. The Spirit had said something to them. He said not to go to Jerusalem. They told me, the Spirit is telling you, do not go. It is dangerous there. You are not to go. But I said, I must go. And so, finding that they were not able to convince me, we knelt there down on the beach, and we prayed together. They sent me to my ship, and they also returned home. And I traveled from there to a number of cities, but finally came to the city of Caesarea. And I'll tell you what, in Caesarea, I met a man. There were other followers of Jesus there. His name was Philip. Now, Philip, he had four daughters, all who had the gift of prophecy. It was an amazing time together as, as they shared about what the Lord had spoken to them with me. But it didn't end there. There was a, also a man who had a gift of prophecy as well. You know, his, his name was Agabus. And he came and he met with me and he had, a, he had a hard message for me. You know what he did? He took off my belt. He took his, my belt off and he took it and, and he wrapped it around his arms 
And then he wrapped it around his feet and he told me and he told all the people, this is what is going to happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. You are going to be bound, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be imprisoned. This is what's going to happen to you. But you know what? I knew that God had called me to go. I knew that I was supposed to go to Jerusalem because even the gospel, even though it began there, the Jews still had not accepted the gospel themselves. And so what I, what I said to them is, you are making me very sad because it doesn't seem like you're supporting me. Even Dr. Luke, he said, don't go. But you know, I, I, I said to them, I said, I will even give my life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will go to prison even for the gospel of Jesus. And so, seeing that they could not convince me either, we knelt down and we prayed. And that next day, I, I left. I left and I went to Jerusalem myself. In Jerusalem, again, there are other brothers there and I met with James and with, with the other elders there who are part of the church, and you can see, see my travels, you know, as, as, as Luke recorded there in the book of Acts in chapter 21 and 22, you'll, you'll see my travel to, to Jerusalem, and you'll see that when I arrived in Jerusalem, they had a warning for me. They said, you know what, Paul? You have a bad reputation. Since you left here, there's people that are spreading rumors, false rumors, that you are telling people, don't believe in Moses, don't follow the law, and don't follow the traditions. You don't need to do any of that stuff. You know, that was not true. It was a half-truth, was, was, was half which is also known as a lie. They're spreading lies about me. You know, I'll tell you what I, what I do teach. What I do teach people is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of Moses, the fulfillment of the traditions. I wrote actually to the, to, to the church in Rome, and I said this, brothers, my desire, my heart's desire, my prayer for them is that they be saved for Christ. Jesus Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to everyone who believes. And that is for us as well. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew or between the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You, you know this. Many of you, you have called upon the name of the Lord, and you have found salvation and healing have come in his name, haven't it? And that is the same that I hoped for the Jews there in Jerusalem. I hoped that they themselves would call upon the name of Jesus, that they would stop rejecting him as the Messiah, the Son of God. But you know what? The Jews, they had canceled me. When I arrived there in Jerusalem, they said, you know, hey, Paul, when you go into the, the temple, just, just know that they have already rejected you and they don't want you to live anymore. And so take with you four other Jewish men. 
that are under a vow. And so, so me and a party of other four men, we went into, into the temple. They had been under a vow and they were supposed to purify themselves. And so I did the same thing with them, trying to show the Jews, hey, I'm not against Moses. I'm not anti-Semitic. I am not against the law. I'm, I'm for Jesus and, and for understanding that he is the way and the truth and the life. But while I was there in that temple, guess what they did? These, these Asian Jews, these out-of-towners, they started raising a ruckus. Just before my seven days of purification were up, guess what they did? They cried out, and they cried out, men of Israel, help! They said, this man is one who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and against the law and against this place. Now again, was that true? No. As you can see from my writings, that is not true at all. I teach them that Christ is the end of the law. But because of this false accusation against me, they had, they had canceled me. And I'll tell you what, as I have come to America, I know that this is something that you too do as well. You also, you cancel people. You know, when they say something that you may disagree with, they may uh, say something that offends you. You just say, oh, I'm not going to listen to them anymore. And you fail to have a conversation. I was coming to Jerusalem to have a conversation with them about the resurrection, about Jesus as the Messiah. Can I give you a little warning right now? As a church, let's not be those who engage in that cancel culture just like they did back then. No, we're to be ones that seek to understand before trying to be understood. It is important that we don't just engage just with social media and write short sentences back and forth to one another. We need to engage in a conversation. And that's why I came in person to Jerusalem myself, not just writing a letter. No, I came as a letter to these people myself. I came into that temple to those people that I know did not like me so that I hoped could see my love for them. Church, when we're tempted to cancel people, what would Jesus do? What does love require of us? You know, I I wrote to one of the churches in Corinth. I said, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. That is what we as a church are to be to each other and to our lost and hopeless world. I write in the end, these three remain, faith and hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. That is what we are to be to our dying world. To those especially that may want to cancel us, we're to show the love of Jesus Christ. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? The fruit of the Spirit is love. You cannot have the rest of this fruit of the Spirit if you don't have that first one. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
That is what Jesus has called us to. Let's resist that urge to be like our culture and cancel. You know what happened after that? As, as these Jews from Asia, they stirred up the crowd. What they did is they grabbed me by my garment and they dragged me out of the city, kicking and screaming. I, I said, stop, why are you doing this to me? And, and they closed the gate of the temple and, and they were trying to kill me. They were beating me up. They heard a ruckus going on in the city. Everyone was there. It was, it was like that high school fight, but only bigger. And the Romans found out. If you know anything about the Romans, what, what you will know is that they like to have order in their city. And so the Roman tribune sent all of his centurions and said, you go and arrest whoever is causing that ruckus. And they got there, they saw me being beaten up, and they arrested me. I'm the one that was the victim. But they arrested me. And they were bringing me to the barracks, all the while trying to figure out what is going on. Why, why in the world were they beating up this man? But people were yelling and screaming, away with him, away with him. He does not deserve to live. Well, the Roman tribune started talking to me. And I asked him, I said, hey, would you mind before you bring me to the barracks, if I say a few words? He said, well, do you know Greek? I said, yes, I know Greek. I also know Hebrew. And so in their own Hebrew language, I spoke to all the people, and a hush fell on the crowd. It was an amazing time, and I was able to tell them all about who I am. If you didn't know, I grew up there in Jerusalem. I, I grew up under the teaching of Gamaliel, one of, one of the most famous rabbis there was. I, I grew up being very zealous for the law, so zealous that when I heard about these people belonging to the way, I said, these people do not belong in our city. They do not belong in our world. They do not, they should not live. They're teaching people against Moses and against the law, just as they were accusing me. And I believe that as well myself. And so I said, I am going to dedicate my life to putting an end to this way that they call it, talk about, this Jesus way. What I did is, is I dragged Christians off and I persecuted them. I threw them in prison. I was trying to stop this movement that they call the way. I even went not, not just to Jerusalem, but, but I went to the city of Damascus and other cities. And as I was on my way, I told them, as I was on my way to the city of Damascus, a light shone from heaven. It knocked me off my horse. I fell to the ground and I cried out with my eyes blinded. I said, who are you, Lord? When I heard these words, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I was very confused at that moment. I thought, God, I'm the one that is serving you by stopping the people of the way. And now you are saying, I am Jesus? That Jesus is the Son of God? That He is truly the Messiah, the promised one that has been foretold from long ago that we've been waiting for? Well, I was still blind, and, and Jesus himself told me, get up, go into the city, and you will be told there what to do. 
And there in the city I was blinded and sat alone in a room. And after a few days, a man named Ananias came. And he had been called by God to come to me. He said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that moment, my eyes were opened. He said, rise up and go be baptized. Call upon the name of Jesus. And I did that at that moment. I called upon his name and I was saved there and also then commissioned by Jesus to go. In a vision, God told me I was to leave Jerusalem because the people there would not receive my testimony and I was to go not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Well, that's as far as I got in my story. And obviously you know more because you've been reading the book of Acts. You've been reading Dr. Luke's account. You know about my missionary journeys and I had to tell them all about that, but they stopped me right there. They cried out, away with this man. He should not be allowed to live. The crowd erupted so loudly that the Roman tribune said, let's take Paul into the barracks and let's examine him by flogging. You know what flogging is? When they take a whip, they stretch you out and then they whip you over and over and over again until you are bloody and, and you'll say whatever you want, they want you to say. And that's what they did. They brought me in. They stretched me out. And they were about to start whipping me. When I remembered, I have a citizenship. Not just of heaven, but I'm a citizen of Rome. And these were Roman soldiers trying to beat me without giving me a fair trial. Much like you in the United States, you have the Constitution, right? What does the Constitution give you? Amendment number six, the right to a fair trial. And that is a perk of being a Roman citizen. I was given the right to a fair trial. Well, what they said is we need to allow this man to have his day in court. And so they sat me down in front of a council of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That day, as, as they, they sat me down in front of them, they said, Paul, we will give you the first word. And you know what I said? Brothers and fathers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up until this day. You know what I wanted these religious leaders to know? That I believed that what I was doing was following God and obeying what He had commanded to do. My conscience was clear. Even though it seemed like I had been raising a ruckus, I was raising a ruckus for a purpose so that people would know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, as these Pharisees and Sadducees had gathered, there was also one man there that I didn't recognize, and he commanded that I be struck in the face. Well, I'll tell you what, I lost it. And I said, you whitewashed wall. That's what I said. You may not understand what that means today, but what it means is this. You're a hypocrite. You say things like that, don't you? You're a hypocrite. What a hypocrite. I said, you command me to be struck 
and you call yourself a judge, and you call yourself one who is trying to uphold the law of your country, well, the people there did not take too kindly to me saying those words. They said, would you dare to revile God's high priest? At that moment, my heart sunk. I knew I had misspoken. I knew I had said something that was not right. Sincerely, I did not know that this was the high priest that I had just called a whitewashed wall. You know what a whitewashed wall is? It's a tomb that they paint with paint on the outside, but on the inside, it's full of death. That's what I called the high priest. Well, they said, that's not right. And so I said, I, brothers, I did not, I did not know that this was the high priest. I said, my eyesight is bad. I don't, I can't see very clearly. Maybe he wasn't even dressed up in his priestly garments. We don't know. But I said, it is written, you shall not speak evil of the Lord's high priest. You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Exodus chapter 22, 28, it says that very specifically in the law of Moses. It says, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of my people. That is the high priest. I was clearly in the wrong, and I needed to apologize to them. And that's what I tried to do at that moment. Can I just tell you, even though that priest did not deserve my respect, his position deserves my respect. I was wrong for calling him those names. And you know what? I know that you guys do the same thing here in America as well. In America, we, we, we seem to be in this place where we're calling people names, calling people in positions of, of, that should be in positions of respect. We call them the most horrible things. We say things like, let's go Brandon, right? Why do we say these? We say things like defund the police and other words that we cannot even speak of in church because they're too horrible for positions of authority in our country. You know what the book of Romans chapter 13? I wrote to them and I said this. I said, let every person be subject to their ruling authority. God has placed them there. Maybe the person you disagree with just because you disagree with them does not mean that they do not need respect. The position that they're in demands respect. And we as Christians should be those that show respect in everything that we do because they are people created in the image of God. And so fathers and wives, children, you educators, employees, leaders and bosses, Let's remember this when we go into our week. I got it wrong, and I tried to make it right. And if there's something we need to make right, let's be, let's be those people that treat people in positions of authority with respect. You know, some of you wives, you'll say, my husband doesn't de deserve my respect. He's an idiot. <laughs> I will say this. He may be an idiot, but he still deserves your respect because of the position that he's placed in, in your family. And that is the same for you husbands with your wives. You respect your wives. You submit to one another as to Jesus Christ. Let's love one another in that way. 
Well, so you know, I was still there sitting in court. And things had gotten kind of awkward, but then I realized this council is already divided. Why don't I take advantage of that? And so what I did is I, I, I stood up and I said, you know what, brothers? I am a Pharisee. And it is with respect to the resurrection that I stand before you today. I have come to talk about the resurrection from the dead. Now, here's what you need to know. The Pharisees, they believe in the resurrection. And they believe in the Spirit. But the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. They do not believe in the Spirit. And that is why they are sad, you see. But what happened at that moment was that they started fighting with each other. They started acting like cats and dogs and things got violent. They started fighting and throwing things and it got so violent that the Roman Tribune said, we got to pull Paul out of here. We got to get him back in the barracks before he is killed. And so they pulled me out of that court and threw me back in prison. You know, that was a dark day. I will tell you, I hoped that everything would have been resolved. I hoped that in being able to share about Jesus and the resurrection that people, both Pharisee and Sadducee, would respond to the gospel and become one. But instead, it looked like people were more divided and more angry than they ever had been ever before. And so I sat in my prison cell that day, hopeless and feeling helpless, feeling tired and worn out. And as I tried to sleep that night, you know what? The Lord met me. He met me in a vision. And I'll never forget the words that he said to me. He said, Brother Paul, Take courage, for as you have testified about me, testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. That, my friends, was a promise. Just like God had given a promise to our ancestor Joseph, that one day he would be ruler over his brothers. Jesus was promising me I would end up in the city of Rome myself. And so I had to hold on to that promise for two whole years as I sat in prison, waiting and waiting, trial after trial, giving defense after defense. And can I tell you, followers of Jesus, that same promise that God gave to me there is this promise that you also have been given today. Jesus, he said this, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is what he said as he ascended into heaven. He said, I am with you always. He is with you and you and you and you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're waiting on, he is with you, as he was with me in my prison. My story does not end there. If you want to read further, this is, this is a long, long story that will take a few, 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 uh, few minutes to, to tell. If you want to read about it, Luke can, Luke can tell you the rest in chapters 23 through 26.
of, of his account. But I will tell you this, God delivered me from that. He delivered me from a conspiracy against my life. There are 40 men that said, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. And guess what? The Romans brought in 400 soldiers to deliver me back to the city of Caesarea to be put on trial. And there, I faced false accusation against false accusation, and I made a defense. But after that, I was kept in prison for two whole years, two whole years, waiting in silence. And I wrote letter after letter after letter to the churches, many of which you have in your scriptures today. And then I went on trial before Caesar, and then King Bernice, and King, King Agrippa. And again and again, I told them my story about what Jesus had done for me and about the resurrection of the dead. Through it all, can I tell you, God was with me, and He is with you. In whatever season of waiting you may be in, whatever season of pain, you may think God has stopped working. Where is God? Can I tell you, maybe it's not that God has stopped working. Maybe you just don't have eyes to see what He is actually doing. Maybe God has started working in a different way, through pain and silence and persecution and hardship. I wrote about this to my brothers in Rome, and I want to share these words with you as we end today, and I want to thank you for having me here at Valley Church. I wrote these things, and I want these words to also encourage you, whatever you are going through right now. Romans 8, 28. I write, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What I am learning, and I hope you are learning, in whatever pain you're going through, is that through pain and persecution and suffering, when the people of Jesus follow the way of Jesus, His story 
will begin to resemble your story. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us. Lord, for this reason, we bow our knee before you, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to your riches and glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. <laughs> that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and breadth and length and width of the love of Christ, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may all be filled with the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or all we think, according to his power that is at work within us, to you, Lord Jesus, be the glory in your church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.